You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is Emily. And this is James with Rethink the Rat Race. And this is the Earn and Invest podcast. I was never really enamored with travel. Sure, I liked my vacations but I was always relieved to come back home at the end. But things have changed over the last few years. Maybe not travel per se, but freedom now interests me. Freedom to roam around the country or the world, freedom to escape winter, even the latest COVID outbreak in my area. But in some ways I've been thwarted. We have not set up our lives or even our businesses to manage remotely. The kids are ensconced in the school system Even my very part-time passion employment is location-based. Will remote life management become the norm in the future? And if so, how do we prepare ourselves for it? Emily and James Lowry retired at the ages of 27 and 28 in 2019. Emily is a former systems engineer with a passion for traveling, and James is a former medical district manager obsessed with financial and physical health. They currently own and rent nine units and manage them remotely. James and Emily, welcome to Earn and Invest. Emily, I was looking at your Instagram account this morning, and there was this video of you and James in some tropical location frolicking in the pool. And James has the computer perched on the edge of the water. And of course, it's dubbed with other people's voices. But the conversation went something like, James says, hey, I'm working here. And you're like, are you sure? And he's like, yes, I promise I'm working. And obviously you look like you're really enjoying yourselves and it looks nothing like work. Tell me, Emily, you know, how much of this is Instagram life versus real life for you? Uh, I would say a lot of it's Instagram. Uh, <laughs> granted, we do do some, you know, bookkeeping and, you know, management and stuff like that. But that's, I don't know, maybe an hour a week. So I actually would disagree and say that that's actually real life, but I'm also envisioning because that was on a trip to Mexico Uh and on the previous trip to Mexico, just a couple weeks before that, I was standing in a pool and it was like the perfect standing desk and I was working on the laptop for hours, you know, just because I was like engrossed in what I was doing. And because I was comfortable and standing in like the perfect location, like, you know, I've got a drink in hand and it's nice out. And so to me, that was like real life. Emily, so granted, you know, Instagram, we have sometimes play things up and and they look sometimes a little bit more interesting or better than reality. But let's go back to what your nine to five looked like. 
tell me how your work life looks today compared to what you were doing when you were in an office. I think it depends on the week. A majority of the time, you know, we're traveling. And if we are doing, if we're back home doing renovations, I would say that on the computer doing like bookkeeping, trying to, you know, make sure that get stuff prepared for taxes and uh, stuff like that. And then other times running errands, I guess, for our rentals and helping where I can doing renovations and stuff like that. But I would say it just depends on kind of where we are in the country and in our life. Emily, the normal nine to five work week is roughly 40 hours a week. How, how much of your time do you spend doing what you would call work in a normal week now? I don't know, five to 10 hours? Yeah, maybe <laughs> on a long week. <laughs> James, compare this to your life growing up. Tell me about the modeling uh, your mom provided for you on what work life looks like. So my mom actually worked third shift at Walmart for a lot of my uh, upbringing. And then she went on to like first shift and second shift working in the garden center. But to me, working was clocking in, clocking out. You're putting in your full, you know, eight hours, 10 hours if you have an overtime day. And there was not a lot of leniency with that. James, was there a lot of thought about money management that you kind of saw your mom going through when you were a little kid? Not so much thought as much as there was so little coming in that you had to like manage it meticulously to be sure that you had enough to meet necessities. Uh, and that's literally all. There was not a lot of luxury spending or anything that wasn't like necessary to live on. Emily, compare that to your upbringing. What kind of financial behavior did your parents model for you? And did you think, did you watch them kind of go through the process of money management? I did, but I, I didn't. I um, Looking back, I'd, I mean, I guess I did pay attention because they, they tried to teach us how to budget. They were big Dave Ramsey people. And so we would get an allowance. And so whenever we would get our allowance growing up, it would be, you know, 10% tide, 10% savings. But I just remember, you know, allocating to each thing. We were a single income family. My dad worked, my mom didn't. She was a stay at home mom. My mom was really good about making sure that they budgeted correctly and everything went. And it was just, it was a modest lifestyle. We weren't going and spending lavishly and everything. It was just comfortable, modest. It wasn't, and I, I didn't think that, you know, we were lacking or anything like that. From there, mom always made sure to make sure that I had, you know, at least a hundred dollars in my checking to make sure, you know, not to go below that because once you go below that, then it quickly dwindles down to zero basically. And so she tried to make sure that I had this, I guess, money management skills for life, but I didn't stick with those <laughs> until after we got married and started our you know, financial independence journey. James, I'm going to ask this question of you, and then I'll ask Emily the same thing. Looking back at your childhood, did you feel like your mom controlled her work life or did you feel like her work life controlled her? Because, you know, I'm looking at you guys and the life you've built, and it sounds like you kind of exert maximal control over how, where, and when you work. Did you see any of that in your mom growing up? Absolutely not. So much so that that's probably the reason why we lead the life that we do now, because like, I want total control. I did not want it to be, you know, beholden to this company or this thing and to be able to go where we want, when we want to not have to request days off or things like that. There was, she, she had absolutely no control. And 
and, you know, probably didn't take any vacation time just because she needed to be there and working. And if you're taking vacation time, then that means that you're not really, uh, you're, you're not only not at work that day, you're, you're getting paid for that day. Sure. But you're spending money outside of that. And by working, she was essentially forcing herself savings by not, you know, having to go out and spend money doing something. Emily, I'd ask the same question of you growing up with your dad. Did you feel like your dad had much control over his work environment or did you really feel like more controlled his behavior? I think that it controlled his behavior. He would be with us, like spend time with us. And, you know, I remember growing up, taught our club soccer. But I also remember him going on work trips a lot. And, you know, he would be gone all day and then just come back by like supper. And then he would go and work from home after dinner kind of thing. And so it was work. I feel like work controlled him. He was always working. And I still feel like that. That's the same case now. And I keep trying to, you know, get him to retire. And, you know, it's like, well, I'm not not ready. Work still has work for me to do. That's interesting. Is it an economic issue with him or is it more an identity issue? I don't, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it's an identity, but then also times I feel like he feels that he needs to keep working to be able to provide for whatever he's providing for kind of thing. So James, this is interesting. I'm comparing and contrasting your life today to that of your parents, and they seem diametrically opposed. This is not how you started in the work world, right? You were a district manager. You originally were into nine to five, into a nine to five. What changed the tide? Like, what was that moment where you're like, okay, I need to do things differently than my mom did? Well, that's, I don't know. It's tough because it it seems like immediately based on the modeling that I had, you, you would come out of it and think like, okay, you should do something differently. And that's not the way it was. I was spending every dollar that came in uh, to the point that my card got declined at a red box once. That's like my all time low, a dollar seven. I didn't have a dollar seven in an account. That's like, it was the worst. And so I continued to float along like that, just thinking that this is how life is, right? That's how life is supposed to be. That's how life is lived. And I had nice things. I wore nice clothes. I drove a nice car, right? But I was literally living hand to mouth with these things. And it took, uh, much longer than it should have. Actually, what it took was uh, a person that I was I was at work at my nine to five, and a patient had mentioned that if she had found out about this website, that she would she would have retired ten years earlier. And I should preface this by saying I thought that all families talked about like four hundred one ks, IRAs, and stuff like that. The only reason why I thought I thought that I didn't because my parents are deaf. Right. And so they didn't have access necessarily to the same information. And so I thought that every other family is talking about these things and investment accounts and all these things. And because I didn't have that information, I was very interested in it because I thought that that's what people talked about. And they actually don't. And so by hearing someone talking about, you know, the fact that they could have retired earlier, I went into a rabbit hole and found this, you know, website. It was Mr. Money Mustache. And, uh, and that's actually really what turned my life around. Like I can definitely point at that one day and say, finding this one website where this guy talks very brashly about life choices. And, uh, that's what, that's what changed it for me. James, was there a point even early on where you looked back at your childhood and you, you all of a sudden had money cause you were making money and you felt, boy, you know, I deserve to spend this money. Like, so that's true. I don't have a lot in the bank, but clearly your childhood was more scarcity than abundance. 
did you have trouble coming to terms with this idea that that money isn't meant for spending right away? Mm, I did and didn't, right? Especially like once we had, you know, our full-time jobs and we're married, like we had a lot of money coming in. And this is before we found out about financial independence. And that's exactly my mindset. Like, oh, we've got over a thousand dollars in the bank. I can go get whatever I want, you know? And, uh, and that's like, it was literally that that's how our life was. Like we would text each other. Okay. Like the, but the balance is under $800. Like we can't do anything until it gets back over, you know, a thousand. And so like to us, a thousand dollars was our buffer and that's all we had. And I mean, we were literally just spending everything that came in until we found out about financial independence and very quickly, you know, my mindset shifted and it became like, I'm in control of money. I don't let the money control me. Emily, James just said something interesting. He said, until, quote unquote, we found out about financial independence. And then he said, my mindset shifted quickly. I suspect James was the one who first came to Mr. Money Mustache, et cetera. What were your first impressions when he told you about financial independence? I thought he was crazy and (laughs) it felt controlling. And so I didn't want to do it. I mean, this was, you know, um, a, a time span over, what, a month? And um, so until I saw like the, I guess the lifestyle shift in him and him doing the um, lead by example, (laughs) once he said that I no longer had to work anymore or work as long, you know, until 65 or retirement age. So that's kind of when I shifted and got on board. A lot of people are interested in financial independence. Only a small subset of them go into real estate. James, tell me, how did real estate come into the picture and how early in your financial independence journey did you start picking up on this idea of real estate as a way of creating wealth? So I had read a book and and this is way before financial independence, probably like around the time me and Emily were just starting dating. And uh, it was The 4-Hour Body by Tim Ferriss. And it's not his most popular work, mm-hmm. right? And so I liked the concept of like him gamifying all these things and hacking things. And so I decided to read his other book and it was the four hour work week. But at the time I'm like in college or just out of uh, just out of high school. And he's talking about creating passive income and it's through like blogging. It's through uh, ebooks and it's through like real estate and products and all these things. And to me, none of them sounded interesting except for the real estate. And so I started looking at bigger pockets and reading some of the stuff on there. But then I let my limiting beliefs get the best of me because I was making $12 an hour as a manager at a gym. And I thought, well, I'm definitely not going to be able to afford a house anytime soon. So I'm not going to do this anymore. So I kind of just put it on the back burner until we found out about financial independence. And then at that point, I was already kind of predispositioned to real estate. And it's incredibly easy to understand. It's something that's been around forever. So the concept of like, even now, like when we talk about retiring and people say, you know, I live off of my investments, like to me, it's the easiest thing to say, oh, we own rental properties and everybody can understand that. Uh, And so to me, it was super simple. Plus the fact that we could achieve financial independence very quickly uh, through leverage and things like that. That's part of the reason why we decided on real estate. And also I'm a little bit of a control freak. So it's (laughs) nice to know. That like if I if I spend a, a few thousand dollars fixing up a kitchen, it will directly affect my investment. But I cannot control what Elon Musk tweets or what Apple releases or anything like that. And so to me, I like to have the control over the investment. Emily, how long did it take you to buy into this idea? I mean, you say that you 
became financially independent, I believe, or retired in 2019. And you were 27 and 28. I mean, pretty young. Did you feel like you were retired? And do you feel like that today? I I did. I do. <laughs> I did. And I do. <laughs> um, because when we retired, um, we moved to Cyprus. And we started traveling around Europe and taking advantage of not having a job, not having, you know, anything to tie us down. And then now um, I still I still feel retired. You know, we're able to travel when we want. We're able to work on properties whenever we want. And they also spend time with family and friends as well whenever we want. Um, and, you know, kind of put a project on hold so we can go and spend time with people. And so it's just it's nice to be able to, I guess, spend our time how we want to versus, you know, at work. And it's also, we always talk about how we don't know how we had time to go to work, you know, spend eight hours a day (laughs) working and still having time to do other stuff. Emily, talk more about the travel bug. Who had it first? You or James? I I think I had it first um, just because, you know, my dad's from Cyprus and his parents live, still live over there. And I have other family, extended family. And so I believe whenever I was three, um, that's when we started traveling over there. So we would go every you know couple of years. And so f- I feel like from there, it kind of, I guess, instilled the travel bug to want to go and travel and see other parts of the world. James, talk more about that. Was this idea of geo-arbitrage or leaving the United States part of your financial independence plan where you're like, okay, I can be outside of the United States, live off of much less, and that's going to make financial independence much easier? Yes and no. Just the idea, the the freedom of being able to move around definitely helped that, right? Because we could trust that, okay, like, because Cyprus was actually a very similar cost of living to where we are in Huntsville, Alabama, but it's a much more exotic location. And so, uh, and it's also like a nice hub to travel around in Europe, but it was, it was nice to know like, okay, if we're willing to move to Cyprus and stay there, like we could easily go over to Portugal and stay there, which is, you know, another cheaper place in Europe or even, you know, Southeast Asia or Mexico. So it's really just the concept of being able to move and uh, being willing to is definitely something that will free up a little bit of money and give you a little bit more comfort in retiring earlier if you're willing to move around. And Emily, you were serious enough about travel that didn't you apply for and get dual citizenship? I did. I did. And um, all thanks to James because he did the research um, and realized that, you know, through my dad, I could apply for it. So I did, I got that and we moved over there. And then James, because I, I was able to get it, James applied for it through marriage. We're still waiting on James's <laughs> citizenship, but it's kind of slowed down a little bit right now. And James, tell me about your thought process and why dual citizenship would serve you kind of in this life you're living now. Well, we do. We do enjoy traveling a lot. And so when we were in Cyprus, it was it was fun, but also like not necessarily stressful thing, but it was something that we had to keep in the back of our mind that Emily could stay there the whole time. Right. With no issue. But I was limited to 90 days out of 180. Right. So I could spend three months there out of six months. And so for us, it was like, oh, this is fun. It's a forced travel. Right. So we could stay for three months and then we could travel around mainland Europe for three months because uh, it gets a little complicated, but Cyprus is not in the Schengen area, so it does not apply toward the same like 90 out of 180 for them. 
So we could spend 90 days in Cyprus and then we could spend 90 days in like mainland Europe and then go back to Cyprus for 90 days and just kind of bounce back and forth. And once you start bouncing in and out, not during those 90, like not, not waiting till the end, then it becomes a little more complicated. Like I've spent three days in this country, but it has to come against this. And it was just something for us to keep in the back of our mind. Um, so a dual citizenship would be very helpful in the fact that we could just go and not worry about having to leave anywhere. Um, you know, the, the freedom of work and travel and stuff like that is helpful work less so because we don't really work, but, um, the other things, the other benefits to me are, uh, are extremely valuable. Just being able to go and stay somewhere and, and be able to purchase things and, you know, like land or property because you're a citizen or at least an EU citizen and you have freedom of travel. So that would be helpful. James, is it right that at least as of now, all the rental units and Airbnbs you own are in the continental United States? That's correct. Yeah. They're actually all focused in one city, essentially. Any hope of of owning land or running some of your business out of Cyprus? We've looked at properties in Cyprus and there's always the potential, um, but it's not something that is a priority for us right now. We would actually rather buy where we're at now and continue to buy where we're at now and have that pay for us to buy in Cyprus because it does get a little more complicated. Uh, you know, everyone there speaks English, but the official language is Greek. And so I'm not that good at Greek. I'm it, And real estate and things like that, the legality of it is complicated in English. So I can only imagine how much more complicated it would be across two or three different languages that you have to decipher. We are talking to Emily and James Lowry, who retired at the ages of 27 and 28 in 2019 and run the Instagram account Rethink the Rat Race. We are going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later, we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing. And there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Hey, everybody. I am incredibly excited to announce that my book, Taking Stock, A Hospice Doctor's Advice on Financial Independence, Building Wealth, and Living a Regret-Free Life, is now available for pre-order on Amazon or wherever you buy books online. 
That's right, the book officially drops August 2nd, but you can order it now so that you receive it right then and there on the day it launches. The easiest way to do that is to go to earnandinvest.com slash preorder. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash P-R-E-O-R-D-E-R. And it'll give you a chance to take a look at this book, which is the culmination of all my experiences in personal finance and financial independence with my experiences as a hospice doctor dealing with the terminally ill and what they have taught me about their regrets, about life, and yes, even about money. I can't wait for you all to get a chance to read my book. I've been working on it for years, and it's all coming to life. Order it now for pre-order, and you'll get it on August 2nd. Now back to the show. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Emily and James Lowry, who retired at the ages of 27 and 28 in 2019. They currently own and rent nine units and manage them remotely. James, let's talk about remote management. When you first started purchasing properties, did you think that you would be able to kind of set it and forget it and move on and and leave the area in which those properties existed? Yes and no, because the first property that we bought, we bought in Huntsville, which is where our properties are, and we had seen it, but we were in St. Louis, Missouri at the time on a work assignment. And so our first purchase was actually a remote purchase. We did the remote close. We immediately like interviewed property managers and had a property manager for it. Um, and so to me, that was a set it and forget it because we had hired a property manager, it had tenants, and that was as easy as it could get. But since then, we've decided to manage them ourselves, which we enjoy a little bit more. And the the idea was to be able to manage it remotely. I did not know how well it was going to go. Uh, and we, we always had in the back of our mind that we could always get a property manager if we needed one. And we haven't needed one yet. So, so it's working out. Emily, talk about some of the stresses of remote management. You know, I have some experience of running a number of rental properties that are about 30 or 40 minutes away from my house. And in a sense, the remote, because I try as much as I can to avoid having to get in the car and go over there. Is it easier or harder than it sounds? I think, uh, I think it's, uh, that's a tough question because if it was, if it was just me and not James, then I would say that it's harder than it sounds because I'm not good at management. Um, confrontation and stuff like that. And like, you know, just people management, but for James, I feel like it's easier said, or it it is actually easier said than done. But also we have set up the systems in place to make it easy for us to management remotely. James, talk about some of those systems. What have you found is kind of good processes to help you avoid a uh, property manager, because obviously that's going to take a little money off the top and yet still keep you sane as in your case, you travel the world. So to me, it all actually starts one with the property, right? You want to make sure that the property is on the up and up, that you're not going to have a lot of maintenance issues. And so we try to preemptively take care of a lot of things. And most of the places that we rent out at this point, we've lived in. So we, you know, we know what it's like to actually live in them. We're not, you know, slumlords that are just like, taking money from anybody that comes along. So that to me is the number one thing is to make sure that the properties themselves are reliable and you're not going to have a lot of maintenance issues. The, my favorite part of the process is actually the tenant selection process because you're 
you're not necessarily training people, but you're picking the right person based on traits, right? And we don't pick anybody. It's a self-selecting process. So we just have people jump through a couple of small hoops that doesn't cost them any money. They just have to fill out a form before they actually see the property. And that alone eliminates 80 to 90% of the people that apply. And so we want people that are able to follow processes. And that makes it very easy for us because once they become a tenant, we explain the entire process of, you know, our landlording, essentially management style. And we use right now we use apartments.com. There are a lot of different uh, avenues that you can use to manage your property. So what we do is we collect rent on that. And so we don't have to go around and collect rent. I've never actually collected rent essentially. And uh, they submit all the maintenance requests on there as well. And then once the maintenance requests come through there, we can just forward it along to the contractor that we need it to go to. If it's a plumber, usually everything goes to our handyman first. And that's another key part is to have someone that you trust in the area that can go and do things that's reliable, shows up on time, you know, and pretty consistent with pricing. So all of these things kind of intertwine and make it very easy for us to manage our properties remotely. In my opinion, it's very easy. Emily, any major headaches? Can you think of a time where you're like, oh, I have to deal with this property. I'm out of town and uh, things just don't go right. I'll let James take this one. I can answer that for her because no, she does not field any maintenance request. <laughs> so she never has, I mean, I'm not saying she does not have stress, right? I don't want to say that, but I receive all the maintenance requests and I'm the one that's dealing with the contractors. And then I may tell her, you know, hey, this happened at this property. But she also knows that I'm taking care of it because we each have our strengths. And to me, stress management is a strength of mine, right? I'm not going to get overly stressed about something. These are all just problems to be solved. And and I take care of them so she doesn't have to. It's also like if it's a big thing, he does tell me. And, you know, we do discuss and, you know, figure out which is the best course of action. Right. So just for example, you said a specific example that happened. Just recently, we had a leak under a driveway. And we only knew this because the tenant had a higher water bill. And so we sent out a leak detection company and they determined that the leak was under the driveway. And so we contacted the plumber. They gave us a quote to cut the driveway and dig down, repair the leak. And during this process, you know, we're actually in Europe at the time, I think, or maybe Mexico. I can't remember. We were overseas or we were not in the country. And the uh, we were actually in Europe. I remember now. So the plumber cuts the ground, goes under the driveway, and it turns out there's not even a leak there. It's actually mm. four feet the other direction. So then we're having to deal with like, oh, okay, we've got to get the leak detection company back out to figure out where the leak actually is. And uh, so that was a specific time, and that's been in the past month that that happened. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's just a problem to be solved. James, it seems like a lot of people are moving away from the traditional rental model of I'm a landlord, long-term tenants to more of an Airbnb model. Is that any easier or harder to do remotely? It takes more involvement, that's for sure. And to me, it's not quite as easy to do remotely just because like uh, as a landlord or as a long-term property, you sell it to one person essentially and they're there for a year and you do field requests you know, maintenance requests and things like that. For an Airbnb property or short-term rental, there are people coming and going much more often. So you're having to deal with cleaners, you're having to deal with other maintenance requests, which would be, you know, a couch that you wouldn't have to worry about in a long-term rental or, you know, um, cookware or anything like that. And so it's not necessarily much harder. There is definitely an, uh, 
a higher level of involvement, but it's not as uh, it's not as linear as you may think. Sometimes there's very little involvement, and then other times there's a lot of involvement. Emily, we talk about you guys being retired, but ever interest in other types of remote work? I mean, you have an Instagram account, you guys have a blog. Those things are sometimes monetizable. Does this idea of doing other types of remote work interest you? It does interest me. Um, and I've I thought about trying to find some kind of, you know, remote work, but we don't need it. So, you know, I haven't. But it does. It does interest me. And I do I, uh, admire people for leaving their uh, stationary job and, you know, going and doing remote and then, you know, traveling while they do their remote work. James, we've been talking about managing the remote life. And a big part of that for you guys is obviously income sources. So we're talking about remotely managing your rental units. What about other aspects of life? So I'm thinking things like citizenship, taxes, stuff, right? I'm sure you guys have stuff in different places, family relationships, friendships. How feasible slash easy is it to live remotely nowadays and just kind of manage life stuff? So one benefit is that one, we travel very lightly. And because this was actually the whole idea of starting a short-term rental was the fact that we could leave most of our things that we need to live in one place and be able to travel around. So we have all the cookware, we have all the like everything, towels, bedding, all that kind of stuff. And so we don't travel with any of that stuff. We only travel really with our clothes and like, I don't know, like toiletries essentially. And so we pack very light, we travel very light. Another benefit is because of the circles that we've been in, in the fire space and, you know, going to Camp Fies and FinCons and just different events, we've actually met a lot of people that have very similar lifestyles. And so we, we were just in Europe and we met up with uh, Cody and Lauren, uh, a couple of our friends. He has the Five Show podcast. And we met up with another friend of ours, Jess. And this is the fourth country that we've seen her in that she happened to also be in when we were there. And so, you know, we're, we're meeting a lot of people that have a very similar lifestyle to us. But also we come back home and we spend time with our families and our friends that are local. And so we kind of bounce back and forth. We don't have a truly remote life in the fact that we still come back to Huntsville, Alabama and spend time with the people that are important to us. But outside of like the nice months, we are never here. We, we spend like from November to March or April traveling around so that we can, uh, so that we can enjoy ourselves. Emily, I remember when you guys started this journey and originally went to Cyprus, this was pre COVID if I'm correct. Did COVID slow you down? Yes. I remember we had um, the end of 2020, you know, we were going to go to FinCon and then, or we were going to come back for James's sister was having a baby. So we we're going to come back for that. And then we were going to stay for a wedding and then we were going to go to FinCon and then go to Australia and Asia and that part of the world. And then I guess from there, you know, travel around, do whatever. Um, we didn't really have the after that planned, but I do feel like it has slowed us down. And and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's you know it's been good that we came come back here, and um you know we turned a couple places into Airbnbs that we wouldn't have had we stayed in Europe, and we have spent quality time with our friends and family that we might not have done had you know COVID had happened. James, we probably both got into real estate right after the 
pretty much huge real estate bubble that crashed back, what was that, in 2008. We've had a good run for a lot of years. Do you feel like real estate is recession-proof? I mean, is there ever a fear that, okay, most of my eggs are in this basket, and what if things go south? I don't think that real estate is recession proof. Um, I think that it has its own hedges against recession that other things may not, but it is definitely not recession proof as evidenced by 08, 09, 10, 11. Uh, and I'm not too concerned about it because of the asset class that we have. There's only so much compression that can happen and we're not flippers. We're not, you know, uh, speculating on appreciation. So for us, it's cash flow and, you know, very solid rentals. And another thing is our area that we're in is actually like booming and continues to do so. So, I mean, you know, everywhere says that, you know, people in Detroit might've thought that, you know, 60 years ago, they would be fine too. So it ebbs and flows, but to me, it's very important that we have an asset class. All most of our places are small, one bed, one bath places, and so there's there's only so much of a floor because people don't want to move back in with their parents, and a lot of people don't want to have roommates. And so, to me, that floor is higher than a, a lot of other rentals would be, right? So, a three bedroom place it could come down a thousand dollars and still be, you know, relatively affordable uh, at that point. But for us, there's only so much further down that it can go because we're already kind of at the bottom. You guys retired in your 20s. You've set up a remote business and life for yourselves. You're still pretty young. Any thoughts that at some point you'll settle down and go back to maybe a little bit more of that traditional look of staying in one place? Um, we've talked about it and discussed the I don't know, the idea of it, I guess, or you know, what our future would look like. Um, and I we've I think what we want to do is do like um, half and half, you know, do six months in or half of the year in Alabama where, you know, our friends and family are. And then the other half snowboarding or traveling to abroad uh, kind of thing. And so having, you know, a, a place in, in Alabama to stay and then a place you know, down in Florida just, you know, for half of the year. And then that way we can use each location as a hub to keep our stuff there and travel um, and then, you know, come back to you. And I think that right now looking at a kind of like settling down in a normal, I guess that would be what it would be, you know, doing spending half the year in one place and half the year in another place, which doesn't really sound like a settling down. Somewhat, maybe more than you were before. Uh, James, let me get a little philosophical. You know, you guys have done something extraordinary. In a sense, you've really used lifestyle design to build the life you want right now, but you're also very young. You still have maybe 50, 75%, 80% of your life still ahead of you. Like what comes next after you've kind of done exactly what you've wanted at such a young age? You ever kind of scratch your head and say, hmm, what am I going to do for the next few decades? Yes, I do <laughs> ask myself that. Uh, and I don't really have an answer. It's tough because like, you know, like you've mentioned, we, we're still young. We don't know whether or not we want to have kids yet. It's something that we discuss, not daily or weekly, but as it comes up, you know, and we're both just like, not right now is the idea. And so 
it's hard to make a decision for my future self. I don't want to just like float through life now that I've got, you know, nine rental properties and are living, you know, pretty remotely, but we are enjoying traveling. We're enjoying doing what we're doing. And there will be a point where we may not enjoy that anymore. And so, you know, I, I like to do other things. My friend and I have a bike business where we buy and resell bikes and using the profits of those bikes, we give away kids bikes. And so, like that's just a small thing that we like to do just to get more people on bikes. And to us, it's like, I don't know, it's a very enjoyable activity and, you know, different, I don't know. There's always some business idea coming in my head. Like I'd like to, you know, do something to help my mom for the future. Uh, you know, we've already actually hired her to be our uh, Airbnb cleaner just so my siblings and I don't have to give her money. And so it's helpful for her because she's making money. It's helpful for us because like we have a cleaner that has a vested interest in our property. And so I've toyed with the idea of creating a cleaning company where we only hire deaf employees and just to help, you know, facilitate uh, her and her friends and, you know, giving them opportunities that they don't currently have. And so it's, I don't know, there's always something going on in my mind about what I want to do next. And I, I don't know where, which way it's going to go. Emily, James mentioned kids and certainly we're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but it does bring up this idea that life changes and those life changes can have economic impacts. You ever worry that the way you've set up your finances today may not work in the future? Maybe that's kids. Maybe that's different interests. Maybe God forbid it's a unforeseen health problem or something. You ever kind of struggle with this idea of it's working financially now, but it might not in the future. Um, It's across my mind, but also because I'm a worrier. And so <laughs> I like, I, I think of like, you know, some of the worst case scenarios and stuff like that, but it, it has crossed my mind. And um, I do think that if we have kids then obviously, you know, kids are expensive. And so we might have to change a couple of things to be able to, I don't know, I guess not scrape the barrel whenever it comes to like everything that like kids need kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not something that I think about all the time, but it's, it has crossed my mind. James, I've gotten in the habit of asking this question a lot in this podcast because it just, it interests me so much in pe how people answer it. But now that you've kind of figured out the financial aspects of your life, what does enough look like in kind of a post-financial independence world? So are, are you saying enough of, is this for me to openly interpret? Is it enough money? Yeah. Is it enough yeah. time? Is it enough? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Certainly it's not an issue of money, right? Because the money part, you feel like you've got under control. So. Right. So yes, enough to me. I don't know. It's like, it's something that, that changes with time too. But to me, like we are very, um, health oriented, right? We get a lot of time outside. We like to, you know, exercise. We like to do all these things. And to me, like I like to enough means that I get to have enough time to, to focus on that and have the freedom to do it whenever I want to. And having enough time with family that we like to spend time with. And, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of time with family can go a long way. Uh, <laughs> it's sometimes, right? So I don't know. Enough is something that to me is always changing, right? Like you said, we figured the financial part of it out. So now we need to figure out the other things. And right now I am not only content, I'm like, actually, I mean, I'm very happy with, with our lifestyle. And I know that everybody thinks like, there's just this, like, I don't know. It's like a rabbit hole. You're 
shooting for this goal. And once you reach financial independence, you've kind of lost all focus or hope, or now that you've reached that goal, what's next? Like we're just enjoying life. And so uh, whatever I have right now is enough. Emily, do you ever feel that kind of stress of what's next? Again, a lot of us define enough by money and you've worked hard and gotten to that place where you have enough money. Any worries about like, gosh, what am I going to do with my life now? Sometimes. Um, Cause sometimes it's like, you know, okay, like what, it, like, what are we going to do? But I do, we do have, you know, plans. I feel like far enough in advance kind of thing that it's not like it's idle time just sitting by and, you know, thinking that. So there are many people, James, that are probably listening to this right now and say, boy, they, they sound like they live a pretty good lifestyle. What can you tell people who are kind of young and just starting out in their journey? What, what things did you get wrong that you learned in this kind of path to where you are today financially that, that maybe young people don't quite understand? Uh, okay, well, let's see. Um, I was very focused initially on what other people thought. And nobody's really thinking about you, right? Like there are some people that once we started on this journey, like uh, so many people didn't even notice, right? The fact that we were living more frugally, we were driving, you know, shitty cars or whatever we were doing. The people that did notice thought that we were poor. Uh, They thought that despite the fact that we were, we had more than we ever had because we were saving so much money. They saw it from an external point of view. They're driving crappier cars. They've moved into a little mother-in-law apartment off of a house. Like they're, they're doing really bad, right? They're on, they're on dire straits is essentially what other people were thinking. And so not caring about what other people think is important to me. Having goals and knowing that what you're doing is working toward those goals to me is very important as well. Um, there are things that we got wrong and that's like a little more into the weeds about like we, you know, bought properties that we may not should have because we were trying to diversify our investments like everyone says to do. And it ended up being this, this particular property ended up not working out. And so it was, it was a learning experience. Well, James and Emily, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today we started by talking about remote life management and certainly how you guys discovered financial independence and built a financial life for yourself through rental properties. But I think we've ended with this idea of lifestyle design. And even as you said, James, here at the end, sometimes my, people might not understand your lifestyle design decisions, but they work for you. And I think that's that's important to be kind of thoughtful about what you want from the start and then to build a life around it. I want to end this episode the way and every episode by asking you what's up next in your life and where we can find you. James, we'll start with you. What is up next in your lives? So I'm actually in the process of speaking of remote work and doing all these things uh, and always having something in the back of my mind. I'm in the process of creating a course on remote Airbnb management. And so that's filling up a lot of my, not, not a lot of my free time. It's taking some time and I'm enjoying building it and, you know, figuring out all the systems of that and recordings. And I don't know. So to me, that's what's up next. And I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. And Emily, what is the best way for people to find you on social media if they want to learn more, ask questions? So we are on Instagram and at Rethink the Rat Race and Twitter at Rethink Rat Race. Uh, but we're more, and then our website, rethinktheratrace.com, but we're most active on Instagram. 
This has been the Earn and Invest Podcast. And by having myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank James and Emily Lowry. That's a wrap. Perfect. Awesome. So I always leave things running just for a few minutes while we chat. Is there anything you think we didn't talk about or anything you wanted to cover or anything that we kind of missed? I can't think of anything. I don't know. I don't think so. I thought it was, you asked really good questions. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's always very thought provoking. Well, I, I, you know, I try to be because again, and I always make fun of Cody for the same reason is I think I was very. I questioned a lot of people who were doing what you were doing in the beginning, right? Like, so I thought about my trajectory. My trajectory was to work really long hours, try to make as much money as possible for a few decades, and then kind of take that path to financial independence. So I really enjoy talking to people like you who did it exactly the opposite way. You said, okay, what kind of life do I want to live? And then how do I build an economic framework around that? Um, And so... I like this fact that that every day you guys have proved my suspicions wrong, right? My suspicions were there's only really one way to get this done. Um, And it's really nice to see it. It's not that you guys don't work hard or that Cody didn't work hard or a lot of the young people we know who found these ways of, of making enough money into the... It's not that you don't work hard. You just work differently. And that's what I think I really appreciate about this is you are on the phone. Maybe it is only three or four hours a week at this point. But, you know, at some point you had to accumulate a little bit of wealth to put on down payments. Then you had to really learn about real estate, which took some time. And probably you did it because it was fun and you didn't think about it as work, but it certainly was. Then you had to acquire properties and learn how to manage them, learn how to deal with them. So what we're seeing is years and years of evolving to the point where it doesn't take you much emotional stress and you know how to manage things. Um, but it's work and, but it's, it's work that doesn't feel horrible to you. In fact, in a lot of ways, it feels good or exciting or feels easy to manage while you're out living life. Um, and I think it's a much actually healthier way to look at our lives nowadays. Um, and so it's really, it's kind of fun to see, right? It's fun to see kind of people doing what you guys are doing. And in a lot of ways, as I talked about in my introduction, like by the time I got to this whole lifestyle design thing, I had lots of roots in the ground that are harder to pull out, right? Like a high schooler or a middle schooler, it's hard to say, okay, we're going to pull you out of school and go travel the world, which wouldn't be horrible. Like we could homeschool them and that kind of stuff, but they're kind of set, right? They have their stuff and their people. And even me who has a, a job, which is a passion job, but I really like to do it. It's not something I can do as, as remotely as, as some other things. So yeah, it, it's interesting. And that's, I definitely am at the point too, where, so I'm 48 years old and my kids, my my son is a junior and my daughter is going into freshman year next year. So my son's going into senior year. My daughter's going into freshman year. We have a lot of that. Oh, once they're out of the house, we're going to go do a bunch of these things. Um, and sometimes I wish I had planned a little differently so that I could have done those things maybe while they were younger or before we had them, just so that when I did decide to start really putting those roots in, um, I would have had those experiences, but thankfully I'm still <laughs> young too. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. I mean, got plenty of years left and, uh, and then you get to actually enjoy doing those things with your kids too, right? Like that's, yes. that's where we're at now is we're like having to pull teeth to get Emily's family to come and uh, go like to Europe with this. They have the means, you know, they have, 
realistically they have the time and so it's just hard for us to like i mean we're we're constantly like i i see it from a different perspective because my dad passed when i was younger and so i give her family a hard time i'm like your daughter is literally asking you to just spend time with her she's not asking yeah, which, for, like, which is which is awesome yeah. Or, yeah, yeah i'm like like she just wants to go and see the world with you like how can you deny that like i don't know it's crazy i think we get stuck in our ways remember as i was talking about those roots um they sometimes hold us back and and the you know the thing is there does come a point, I think, where those roots don't hold you as much anymore, right? As you're either, if you do have kids, as your kids grow up, or as you move forward in your career and can become a consultant, or you have a little more leeway to take vacation. But we're so used to being planted that sometimes it's hard to, you know, get us out of the ground and, and move. Um, and I suspect that's right. what it is for you, Emily, and your family, is they're just, they're, they're used to being there. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they've got like, they've gotten stuck in a rut and yeah. what's what they know and what's comfortable. And, yeah. Safe. Yeah. Safe, safe, comfortable, known. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Well, thanks again for doing this. I totally appreciate it. And uh, it's exciting to watch you guys do your thing. Thanks doc. Thank uh, you. Are you going to any camps or FinCons or anything like that this year? So I, I wanted to go to FinCon, but I got asked to speak at Chautauqua. So I wasn't going to pass that up, okay. but it is the right. same time. So I'm speaking at Chautauqua. I'm going to be at Camp Phi Southwest. Um, as you guys might or might not know, I have a book launch coming up and I was thinking of possibly doing a book launch event in Longmont right around mid-August. I, I have to decide today or tomorrow whether I'm going to do that. Um so I'll be around, but not as much stuff as I'd like to do. The book launch kind of has gotten in the way of some things because uh, I only have a set amount. I really want to travel with the kids around and, and Katie, my wife around. Um, sure. But I'll be in and out. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm excited to go to Bogota for Ch- Chautauqua because I've never been. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that'd, that'd be, be cool. really But I would love to see you guys in person. So hopefully we'll find a way. Are you guys going to any campfires? We're going to uh, the second Colorado one, the second week. That's like mid-July. I hear that's a really Uh, good one. We were talking about staying in Colorado for a few weeks after that, but now one of our friends is having a birthday party in Austin. So we're flying Uh, from Colorado to Austin. Uh, But we think we're going to try to get back to Colorado and spend some time there because we've not done it yet. So this will be our first time in Colorado. And so we'll see. Yeah, well, we'll, if if, if you're there mid-August, I may be there doing an event at MMHQ, depending. That'd be cool. That'd yeah. be cool. All right. Take it easy. Thank you guys again. I'll Me let too. you know when this comes out. I'll send you a copy a few days before so you can listen, but imagine four to six weeks. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Take for it me. easy. Thanks. Bye. 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 Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Do you know which part each one you want to play? Yeah, I'll be Emily. <laughs> <laughs> you could, I guess you could do that. You could be like, you could do each other's parts. All right. Let's try that on three. Okay. On three, yeah. two, one go this this is emily and this is james with rethink the rat race and this is the earn and invest podcast all right good enough let's do it one more time just to get it just to make sure i have a clear go okay on three and say it a little with some oomph right on three two one this is emily and this is james and we (laughs) shit 
The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate background, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambi Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.